It's the Esports Connected podcast, where we welcome members of the Esports Trade Association to share their experiences in the world of esports and gaming. I'm your host, Megan Van Petten. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of All In With Esports. Okay, so NBA fans and NBA 2K fans, this episode is definitely going to be for you. And if you're not a fan of either, listen anyway. You're still going to enjoy it and you're going to be inspired by something here, I guarantee you. That's the goal of every podcast I do is to introduce you to some unique people that are doing great things in this esports space that is so vast across our country, across the world. And it's touching all sorts of sports and people. And and the NBA area is where we're going to kind of hang around today and just hope you're going to enjoy the podcast. Now, one of the things I try not to do when I'm recording these, okay, is I try not to date my podcast. I I like it to be able to sort of stand in, I guess you could say, perpetuity. And it doesn't really matter what year, what month I, I, I just record this. But I'm going to give it away now because we're in the midst of the 2021 NBA playoffs. And the Dallas Mavericks just took a 3-2 lead over the L.A. Clippers. All right. They were in a hole, tied it back up on the Clippers floor. And now they've taken a 3-2 lead. And they are one win away from advancing to the Western Conference semifinals, which is a big deal. And uh, with the uh, Utah Jazz waiting to see if they're who they're going to play. I got to tell you guys something. I really miss covering the NBA, regular season playoffs, just so much fun, great stages, great cities, uh, great games, a lot of great people. And when I'm thinking back to all the different places I've arrived to work, the NBA uh, arena is one of the special ones. There's, there's nothing like arriving there. Going back to find our room, usually spend with TNT and, you know, got to get the coaches meetings in. So you go to each locker room, sit down with the coach for 10, 15 minutes. And then finally, you kind of tweak those notes and get those uh, final reports ready. And then walking out onto the floor, it's always cool. You walk into the arena, the fans are there, the lights are going, the music's going, the players are warming up, the national anthem, and, and then we get on the air. And then giving that first report, nothing like thinking about giving that first report, because in our business, we've got this thing where we say, you know, start strong and then, of course, finish strong. And then I say you might as well be strong in the middle, too. So we want to be strong on all areas. But that first report is pretty cool. And then in the NBA, the one unique thing that they've been doing for many years is, of course, these uh, end of quarter coaches interviews. I got <laughs> I have so many stories there and most of them revolve around Spurs coach uh, Greg Popovich. But that's another report for another story. Pop, I've thought about questions the most for two people in my career over 25 years. Usain Bolt at the Olympics, because he's always done something that's been, you know, just un- unbelievable. OK, it really touches history. And then the other person is Greg Popovich. Because I know Pop doesn't want to do those interviews. I know he doesn't. And I'm not quite sure how he's going to react to my questions. So I learned over time is to stop worrying about it so much. Put your foot in the question, ask it, and whatever he does after that, oh, well. But on a serious note, Pop is a great guy. And he loves to have fun with us. And sometimes it gets a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. But he's a great dude. Anyway, so, you know, it's just been great to cover the league and, and meet so many people and then get to work with so many people. I think back to my time and, you know, working games with Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller, both incredible people. Brian Anderson, C. Webb, of course. And then, my goodness, the one and only Marv Albert, the legend. And uh, Steve Kerr, when he was 
also working as an announcer before he went back to coaching, producers, directors. I mean, it's just a long list of people. I actually may have to uh, drop some pictures here since I'm dropping all these names to show you some of these great moments. We usually take pictures before the game. So it's just a lot of fun. But in this episode, we're talking about the video game that mirrors the actual game on the floor, and that's NBA 2K. I mentioned the Mavs because I'm introducing to you uh, someone who first joined the Mavericks in October of 2014 as part of the Mavs Ambassador Program. Uh, she previously held positions of corporate roles with the Mavericks in sales, client relations, marketing, analytical reporting, team management, business strategy, and operations and quickly rose through the ranks to secure a full-time position. And now in her sixth year with the NBA team, this is her first year as the director of eSports for Mavs Gaming. Please welcome Becca Brown. Becca, thank you for being with me today. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you today. So excited. Absolutely. I'm excited too. And so I'm going to also give away the fact that I live in Dallas. I'm a Mavs fan. I can say that. I can actually like more than one team, right? I can like multiple teams. Oh, right? yes. Yes. You, okay. you certainly can. <laughs> yeah. So uh, of course I do appreciate the Mavs and love what Mark Cuban has done here in the city in terms of just bringing this team around the, the venue that he created downtown and just all the excitement and energy around it. I'm just curious. I've seen a lot of behind the scenes in my career from many sports and of course the NBA. But one thing I don't get to see is what is it like in the offices, walking up and down the hallway when your team is in the playoffs and things are going well, what's that like? Oh man. Well, you're taking me back actually to 2014, 2015, back when we obviously pre COVID, but you know, at that time, the 14 season, I was an intern. And so I think one of the coolest part at that time was a CEO being able to walk past you, which is, you know, working in sports for the first time, it's a huge deal to, to have somebody high five you or to come up and acknowledge you. But the energy was phenomenal. You know, the CEO at that time would stand up on the desks and try to rally up the troops and we'd, they'd serve us <laughs> breakfast in the morning. And so, you know, that's that's one of the stories I, I like to tell our current employees. Right. Because with COVID, we are all working remotely at this point in time. And we did last sure. year as well. So. To have to tell them what playoffs is like. Unfortunately, we're all having to do that remotely. But once we get back in the office, there are some phenomenal traditions that we do every year and getting to celebrate. And, you know, I we still have work to do, but it is a lot more fun. We've had DJs and stuff come in there and they'll play music and we, we brought food trucks before. So it is just one big party at the office. Oh, that's awesome. So you mentioned traditions that you guys kind of do kind of give me give me some insight on like on like what? Oh man. So in the very beginning, we would do these like hype videos, but they were like hype videos from the staff. And so they'd bring in balloons and we would do chants and cheers. And I think they were more for the players and not necessarily broadcasted, but <laughs> you know, again, the breakfast, we had some staff, phenomenal cooks on staff. So they would create casseroles and, and they'd bring fruit in the office. And so just this kind of big potluck of people who would just bring their own taste of home. So being able, being able to taste everyone else's cooking, I think is just additionally special. So those are certainly some of the things that I miss, but yeah, just most, you know, definitely like, you know, in the 14 season, we played against the Houston Rockets. And so right. I wasn't full-time at that time, but the staff got to travel to Houston. So I was a little jealous. And then the following season, I was actually full-time and we played against the Oklahoma City Thunder, but I actually got a concussion. So I couldn't go because I couldn't travel. So you got a concussion. Over. And how did that yes. happen? Oh, I was playing, well, because we're such a collective group at the Mavs. Um, right. We actually started our own flag football team within the organization. Oh and so I we had a, a Saturday game. I was there with coworkers <laughs> and we had a playoff game that night. And 
anyway, one thing led to another and I got a concussion. So I couldn't travel to Oklahoma city to watch a playoff game in Oklahoma, but you know, hearing the stories from them usually, you know, cause it is a, a rivalry, obviously playing with teams that are close either in Texas or close to the Texas border. And so they would put our staff up in the rafters away from the court. Right. So you can hopefully right. not hear them cheering at an away stadium. And anyway, so but they just had a blast and, you know, there's obviously, obviously rivalries between fans. And so a little bit of a, you know, banter back and forth between our staff and, and OKC fans and Houston fans. So that is one tradition. I cannot wait for COVID to subside and move forward so we can get back to those days where we get to travel and, and get to experience playoff in a whole new light. So, yeah, I hear you because I've been traveling again for about a month and a half and it's so great to get back on the road. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have a vaccine and I'm grateful that uh, we can kind of get things going again, but we're still not close to normal. But so I know what you're talking about, but it sounds like, you know, of course with Mark Cuban, you got to believe that energy is always around, but you guys really know how to, I would say survive a long playoff run because there's a lot of work on a regular day, but during the playoffs, I can only imagine uh, the amount of work that has to be done in long days, but having fun is a great way to do it. And so now I'm wondering as director of esports and gaming for Dallas, uh, what was planning like for postseason, and and how does the NBA 2K game kind of mesh with the game on the floor? So it's a, it's a little bit different because our season is actually just starting. So this is one of the most awkward times, I think, because naturally we're in June and usually the NBA playoffs slash championship would be this time in the year. So, right. you know, for the rest, the first round to be taking place right now. And then obviously with the 2K season starting, there's a little bit of back and forth, but we're very fortunate for the Mavs gaming team in particular, that we do have a dedicated staff to esports. And that's not necessarily the same thing with other esports teams. They have some people who do work on the actual NBA side for the team, in addition to their role with esports. So I could imagine their roles are probably uh, very strenuous, especially now during playoffs. But, you know, as far as the gameplay on the court and just the energy, naturally, when we have when we have our games, typically they're located in New York City and they have their own venue there for the NBA 2K League. So, you know, right now, of course, we are playing remotely, but I think from what I've been told, and I haven't obviously experienced it firsthand, is that they can hold up to 300 fans there. So naturally, you do have the difference, obviously, in fandom and fans do make a difference in gameplay. And as you can see, right, fans are coming back and you can tell that the players are just having a ball on the court and interacting with the fans. So it does have a massive difference. And I think moving forward in the future with 2K, we do envision hopefully having more engagement with our fans. But absolutely, you know, and as as far as our players in particular, again, and we'll get into this obviously in, in more detail, but these, these gamers, even though they have characters on the floor, these characters represent them as, right. as gamers themselves. They are not playing as Luca or playing as Dwight Powell. They're playing as themselves. And so they are very into like, they are players. They are dedicated to a role. We do have a center. We have, you know, a shooting guard and things like that. They don't just, you know, it's not just one player in a team. So yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that too, but there's a lot of synonymy between what we do from the Maverick side and what we do from my gaming side and, and the engagement around that. Yeah. Did you have any idea on a national level about how many people are playing 2k and, and what about maybe some numbers for, for the Mavs, people who are playing Mavs 2k? Any idea? That's a 
Great question. I don't have the, I, I haven't seen any of those stats, but I'm sure they are there uh, from the league. So yeah, if we, we want to connect offline. We, I can certainly share that with you. Yeah, no, no worries. And you know, sometimes when you're searching out things for questions like that, you see so many different numbers. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure exactly which one to use. So I figure I'll just ask you and see what you have, but no worries on that because it's just, I'm just interested to know, you know, how it's, how it's, how the number have uh, gone through the pandemic and, and have more people picked it up because you're inside more. I think we've seen that across esports, the numbers growing up in terms of activity. And so I'm sure they're quite a bit. What about as director, some of your many responsibilities? I think you're overseeing the, the business department of the yes. team but, uh, and the team itself, coaches and players. So give us a sense of what your, your role is and what you have to take care of. Yeah. So anytime anybody asks me that, I usually say I'm Sint Marshall and Keith Grant for the Mavs Gaming team. So Sint Marshall being our CEO and Keith Grant yeah. is our assistant GM. So, but that's essentially what my role is, is that I oversee all of the business aspects of what we do for Mavs Gaming. So that is community relations, it's sponsorship, overseeing our content creation and our social media engagement, anything and everything you can think of from a business standpoint, that is something that I oversee. But in addition to that, I also oversee our coach. We do have an assistant coach and a head coach, as well as six players on the team. So I oversee the players as well. So it's a, it's literally a mix of everything. So yeah, it was such a great opportunity when it became available. And I mean, what a great way, especially for a young executive to come into this role and, and take it on. And honestly, leading up to that role, I'd been in quite a few different departments. And so I was able to apply it into this role. And I do have a background in coaching as well. We can talk about that too, but yeah, just a phenomenal catch-all for everything. And I'll I'll add that one of the benefits about gaming is it it is such a small department. And so, and just really still a growing industry that you have this like bright group of people who want to be creative and try something that's never been done before because it is so new. The NBA 2K league is going into their fourth season. So you know, as the Dallas Mavericks, they've been here since 1980. So we do have a little bit more routine. Naturally, we do have creativity. But I think with the league being so young and it's still growing, that the league is just open to any and all ideas. And so people just thrive creativity from a creative standpoint in that environment, which is also exciting. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine having a great conversation here with Becca Brown, who's the director of esports and Mavs gaming uh, in Dallas with the Dallas Mavericks, who are just uh, one win away from advancing to the Western Conference semifinals. Becca, are you the first female to hold this position in NBA 2K? I am the first female for the Dallas Mavericks to hold this position. As far as 2K, that is a great question. I have not seen any women in this role, so I don't, Mm. I, you know, I want to acknowledge them if they're all, but for all of the individuals I have spoken to, as far as counterparts are concerned, they have all been male. So if there are women, there are uh, not enough. Let's just say that. So, right, right. Well, you know what? It'll be time for you to start your podcast as a leader in the industry to uh, get the other ladies together and start talking about what's happening, you know, across the league and how you can empower, empower and inspire some of the young ones who are coming up to want to be in the role that you are. And it takes that journey to, to make your, 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 get your, what yourself there. And, and speaking of that, let's step back a bit in your life um, from Kerrville, Texas, right? That's right. Yeah. So I grew up in Austin. And you know why I know the name Kerrville? Because I remember as a young kid on Sunday, sometimes we would go from our church to another church out of town and it would be the Kerrville bus company that would come pick us up. Oh, you, yeah. You that? I, I don't. I have heard about the Kerrville <laughs> heard bus about company. It? Yes, because yeah. even a, a more fun fact, my mom used to tell me a story, right? Because that is San Antonio. Uh, territory that we're talking about there. Well, 
back in the day when the Spurs weren't so good, they used to take their bus company and, and bus people to games in San Antonio. So that's mm-hmm. the only time I've heard of the Kerrville bus company is they used yeah. to bus people to old Spurs games. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a flashback in time right there. Some people might be rolling their eyes like, oh my God, but listen, it is, you know, that's how I know the name Kerrville. Growing up early, I know you played soccer in college, but what about in the early days? What sports were you connected to? And then were you doing any video gaming back in those days? You know, I was right. So, you know, I grew up with a Nintendo 64. My parents had the original Nintendo. So I knew even how to take it apart to get it to work as opposed to like blowing the console and and things like that. Cause it was a 1980 console, but yeah, playing games as a kid, you know, it was more recreation. Right. And then, you know, we, we did grow up playing Xbox and, you know, back in those days it was Halo and that was a first person shooter game. And I wasn't the strongest, right? Especially if you played live. So I just kind of played the story games and, and, and things of that nature. But it was really just fun. From a more competitive standpoint, I started playing at the age of four. My cousin of mine had played uh, semi-pro and I think he was trying to play pro in the MLS. And so I really looked up to him and wanted to be like him. And so because he was a soccer player, I wanted to be a soccer player too. And so, you know, naturally you had the female or the women's Olympics and the U.S. women's national team who really started to hit their stride at that point in time. And so to see... Yep. Women on TV, it's, you know, I had a Mia Hamm poster in my bedroom. And so if you can see it, you can be it and you can believe it. I played actually for some boys teams growing up. I played all boys teams until it became time for me to move on to girls teams. I was super competitive and just wanted to play for the best and, you know, wanted to be a U.S. national team player. So my parents ended up moving me to Dallas. And and believe it or not, North Texas is considered, at least at that time, one of the best states in the nation as far as women's soccer was concerned. You had California and Florida and then North Texas. And so I played for a team here. It's it's called Dallas Sting. They were ranked number one in the country at the time. And then I ended up playing for a defeater soccer club. And, you know, we were number one for them as well. Played in the Olympic development program, won a national championship with them, with that state team. And so Yeah, from a soccer standpoint, highly competitive. I I wanted to play professionally. I committed to the University of Memphis on a full ride scholarship and played for them for about a season and a half, made the decision to leave. So I transferred to UNT. I played with UNT or North Texas for about a semester. And then I actually had a career ending injury. So the, the hopes and dreams of playing professionally, unfortunately, came to an end. So you know, and I had been told up to that point by parents, right? Like, what is plan B? What is plan B going to be? And so I had known if, if I couldn't play sports, I wanted to work in sports. And so immediately when I got injured, I started researching what programs University of North Texas had for sports programs, how to work in sports and things like that. And so they had something called a sports marketing association. It still exists to this day. And uh, the first meeting, they had free pizza and a an executive <laughs> from the Dallas Stars. And that, that person from the Stars had mentioned, if you're going to work in sports, it is absolutely crucial that you get an internship. And so, I, you know, and they give you resources. You can go to teamworkonline.com to look up some internships. And so that's what I did. I landed an internship with Texas Motor Speedway. So I worked in NASCAR for about six months. That was more challenging than I thought it was going to be because it's not just the Mavericks versus the Rockets or red versus blue. It's the the Windstar World Casino 350 and you have like 15, 14 racers. And anyway, there was a lot more that went into that than I think I was expecting. But (laughs) it was a lot of fun, I you know, getting to experience the Red Bull air show. So watching them race the airplanes and things like that, that we did at Texas Motor Speedway. But, you know, leading up to my time with the Mavericks, um, 
there was an opportunity to volunteer. You mentioned the Mavs ambassador program. It was Mm -hmm. purely voluntary. I, you know, the job essentially was you work the first half of the game. It's an additional level of service. So you would help people take food to their seats or help them, you know, carry their beers. What I had learned really is no one buys more food than they can carry. So (laughs) it was a matter of really just asking questions, but I got to know the arena staff really well. So I would really stand next to an usher and we we became very good friends. And anytime they had a question, because I didn't really know the answer, I would, you know, direct them over to the usher who was standing next to me, but he did teach me. And it's a little fun fact, right? That if someone comes out of the tunnel and they look right and they look left and they look right again, you can ask them, are you looking for the restroom? Because it's right around the corner. And so anyway, he taught me that. And it was so funny because anytime anybody did that, they were like, yes, we are looking for the restroom. So he taught me that little tidbit about body language. Right. So, but yeah, so that led to, you know, it's really just about making connections in the industry. And and for any of those listening, you know, if you ever find yourself in an opportunity, even if it's low end, voluntary, you're not getting paid to make connections with people who are full-time. And so that's what I did is I, I got to know some of the directors that worked there and some of the salespeople and let them know at at this time I was in college, you know, I was graduating with marketing degree and I really wanted to work in marketing. And so opportunities really weren't coming up because seasons are cyclical. And so, you know, positions don't really come available during seasons. So I did, I did have to be patient, but you just put in the hard work and people notice. And so once I came close to the end of that season, they did have an opportunity. They had promoted their intern to full-time and they said, so we have a role open. It's not in marketing, it's in ticket sales, but it is an opening. It's an opportunity. Would you be interested? And so absolutely. I jumped on the opportunity. I did an internship with them for another nine months and then once I graduated college, the like immediately when I graduated, they hired me full time. And I worked in ticket sales for two and a half years as a service and retention executive. So I went to every single home game. So I know all about those late nights and getting up early, the expectation of getting up early the next morning and was blessed enough. We, we did go through an investigation regarding sexual harassment. And it, it was national headlines. It, and you can find articles about it through Sports Illustrated and you know, it really was a blessing in disguise. So we, we, we have a new CEO, Cynthia Marshall. I talked a little bit about her earlier, but she came in and she absolutely changed the culture. She had worked for AT&T um, for a couple of decades. And so she came with that Fortune 500 type of a mindset of we're going to clean house, you know, and I think especially when you work in sports, you don't think you think it's all going to be show. You think that it's going to be reported to the media that things are changing, but you know, it's talking versus the walking. And and she was somebody who really walked the walk. The people who were actually the issue are, are now gone. And, and many people were removed and that's a really big deal, especially in sports because it is such a political industry. So to see that firsthand from her, I, I had just an immense amount of respect for somebody who really wanted to do the right thing. And so for someone like me, At this point in time, I had already applied to a couple of jobs internally. Internal movement was actually something that was not really promoted. I actually got, I wasn't really supported, I think, by my boss at the time who, you know, they just want to keep you in in your department, right? Especially when you're in sales, they don't want to leave a department with a vacancy. So... When Scent came on, I I actually sat down with her. It was a two-hour long conversation. And I told her, you know, I really, I don't plan on being here, you know, until July. I plan on being gone by July. There's no future for me here. A career in sports is incredibly hard to move up. And, you know, 
essentially the expectation, especially if you want to move up in sports, is that you have to move from team to team to team, or you have to be willing to move from state to state to move mm-hmm. up. And so she also changed that culture as well. She wanted to create career paths for people where you actually have a future. You don't have to be stuck in a job and you have to leave a team to be successful. And so you know, through that investigation, we created a, it's called the Dallas Mavericks Advisory Council. There were about 25 members on there who had, they were industry leaders. These were CEOs. These were some role models in, in the Dallas Metroplex. We had the chief of police. We had both the former chief of police, Dave Brown, and then our, our current chief of police, who's now gone, Renee Hall. So to, to be able to work with them and, and with other industry leaders as well, they were able to give us an outside-in perspective of what does the Dallas Mavericks do to help impact our community? What is our outside in perspective? You know, are we doing all that we can to represent the city and and represent our people and and really show love to our people? So that council exists to this day. I had worked on that council for up until I took this job in esports, actually. So I think about two two and a half, almost three years that I did that, which was a, a great phenomenal opportunity. I worked in player relations. I did that for a period of time. I worked a little bit with Mavs Gaming before as a business operations manager. I used to track their data and analytics for them and you know, yeah, provide insight there. So definitely had some of that. And then obviously Mavs Academy. So and I have all kinds of stories, but I also ran their dance camp. I am not a dancer whatsoever. It's, you know, I think when you work in in, in sports, you definitely have to wear multiple hats and, and put yourself outside of your comfort zone. And so I oversaw the dance camp, helped that to, I say, become more gender neutral or gender accepting because it was predominantly a female camp. And so now we have men in the camp who who help lead both as instructors, but boys who are a part of those camps as well. So changing the music from maybe a little less Beyonce and a little bit more Michael Jackson, right? So, <laughs> okay. you know, things like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, did some stuff with dance camp. And then uh, most recently, I think one of my biggest accomplishments um, in the Mavs Academy was the creation of the Girls Empowered by Mavs program, which is a programming for girls between the ages of nine to 14. And really the purpose of it was we see a lot of young girls dropping out of sports at such a young age. And so this program was built between me and, and Kelly Robinson, who also works for the Mavs to address that and providing resources to girls to love the game of basketball. It's, it's not about playing for the national team and, and really wanting to go pro. It's about teamwork and making friends and really having fun. And so it was just a way to address girls um, who were, who were dropping out of the game. And we, we, we really want to see girls involved, whether it's basketball or other sports in general. So, yeah, so that was another one as well. So, I mean, you have so many different things here. I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you are developing on the way to being an NBA GM somewhere someday. That's that's what it sounds like to me with all the different experiences you've had and then having the leadership come in, who's now directing it now. I think you sounds to me like you're learning a lot. And I want to ask you, too, about your efforts for equal rights for women in sports. You were kind of alluding to that with the camp. That's a maybe a smaller level, important thing that you're talking about there. But on the bigger picture, you, your, your ideas and your efforts regarding equal rights for women, uh, racial equality and social mm-hmm. ju- justice initiatives. How has all that played into who you are? Ooh, well, who I am. I mean, first off. And, and in your role, too. It, it, right. You know, well, yeah. yeah. I, you know, especially working in, in the Dallas Mavericks and working in the sports industry in general. You know, I, I did have issues with sexual harassment, right, when I worked in the, we call it the old mm-hmm. regime. So 
you know, knowing that certain individuals were untouchable and that it was very difficult, especially for women to climb. But I think I came from a mindset of I was a high level athlete. So I have the mentality to to rise up those ranks and then deal with adversity. So yeah, you still I think, shouldn't have to go through that, though. I hate I hate to hear that. I just. Hate yeah, I just I just, you know, it, it. And so I at least it was addressed. Right. You know, it's it's hard to talk about, you know, but you can't move forward if you don't address it. And so, but it, taking that experience and, and, you know, treating people the way that you, that you want to be treated, I think, especially coming into this role as a director and looking back and, and now I do manage a team of individuals that I don't treat those people the way I was treated and, and treating everybody um, as human beings at the end of the day, which as simple as it sounds, it's really not that simple sometimes in sports. It, it is a very high turnover industry, you know, and when I worked in ticket sales, we were reminded that essentially if you didn't like the culture, you can leave because there's going to be somebody right behind you who wants your job because everybody wants really? to work in the NBA. Really? Yes. Now, they would tell now, you that. Yeah. I come from a very tough industry as well. Television is tough. You got to have thick skin. It's not for everybody. And you got to understand you could, you could do a great job and, and something still might happen. It might, it might change. I've seen it, experienced it all, but to have somebody tell you, you know, look, if you don't like it, you can leave. I don't know how in the world that's fostering the type of commitment and drive you want to have from somebody to support a group. I don't care what the group organization is. I mean, it may be true, but how are you fostering long-term care that I'll run through the wall for this group, this team, this manager, whoever it is, if you're saying stuff like that. that, Yeah, well, that's why it didn't happen. That's why we did have such a a terrible culture, truly a terrible culture. And Mm. and it did start with our leadership and, you know, leadership treating they're, they're subordinates. I hate the word subordinates. They, these are team members, but that's how we were seen. Right. And so I, I, to take it even a step further and is that I think, especially with us in our roles, you you see a lot of bright eyed college individuals who want to work in sports. They reach out to you all the time on LinkedIn. And so, especially working in sales at that time, you know, that there's going to be this new group of kids coming out of college, wanting to work for their dream team every six months, you know, right. the, they the do anything, everything, NFL. ignore everything, yes. trying to just get there. Right. And exactly. even when Compromise. it came to pay, yeah. I'll be honest, like when I was an intern and I had learned what the base salary was, it was really sh- shocking to me how low it was. A lot of people were living with their parents because they were young and, and that, that it's obviously the motivation to sell. But, you know, when you get into the off season, there is no commission. You're not selling tickets in the off season and you're also not working overtime. And so there were moments in the summer where, I mean, you are you are getting by and you might be asking a little bit of help. And so obviously, as you get older, you're you're wanting to be more independent, right? Less mom and dad. And so that's when you move on to bigger and better things. But then you have a new group of kids who are ready to work for their favorite sports team and they're willing to try to climb up the ranks. And so it, it was a, a little bit of a vicious process at that time, because when you see that, that high level of turnover, it, it does wear on you mentally of, okay, when is it my time to, to leave as well? So, but yeah, you know, and to answer your question for before about, you know, inclusivity and, and racial injustice and how we address that, I, I've been in a very unique role to, obviously I, I talked about the Mavs Academy portion of it and being able to create programs And I will say, at least at the Dallas Mavericks, we have a lot of individuals internally who have the voice and are empowered to create programs that do impact the community. And, you know, I think us as leaders, you know, at least now with me in this new role is I take a special, I 
I'm very purposeful in who we partner with and who we work with. And so if we're doing a community relations initiative or, or we're hosting a team dinner, we held a team dinner just the other night, you know, we're catering from black owned businesses or female owned businesses. We, we want to provide money back into the community. We know that COVID has, 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 really hit home to a lot of small businesses. And so, you know, giving back in those small ways where if we're able to spend our dollars, if we're going to spend it anywhere, it might as well be with a small business as opposed to maybe a Chipotle. I'm not saying Chipotle is wrong, but you know, taking care of your own people. And so that's what we can do, at least on the business side. Yeah. And so... And we've done that as well as far as even our camp locations. We go a lot to South Dallas, which is a predominantly African-American, heavily populated area. And so having representation down there and, and providing opportunities for kids to learn about teamwork and, and get in front of a coach. Some of these kids have never been coached before. And, yeah. you know, and that's a little bit of the same in esports. And we can talk about that, too. But, you know, providing resources to kids who who can learn how to be as a team player, because that's. That's how you build character for people in their future. And sports is such a great platform for, for building young kids into being role model citizens. So yeah, but, that's but exactly it's, it's right. a very rewarding, very rewarding yeah. industry that, that we are in as well. Yeah. And we have the exact same philosophy here at Map Sports Network. I mean, we have an entire league of uh, the Power Players League, which is ge- uh, geared toward uh, allowing people to have teams to come in and play together. But, you know, one of the most important foundational aspects of this business is uh, our STEM and STEAM opportunities to give kids. Don't put a controller in their hand to pacify them, but get them not just to play, but then to see the game and all the elements and layers that are involved with it. Science, math, engineering, technology, art, all these different things. And how could you have a career in this business somewhere? There's so many opportunities now with colleges having esports degrees. And so whatever your interest might be, if it's coding, the artistic side, whatever it is, there could be a potential career for you in esports. And when you talk about South Dallas, and we're going to be doing some work with them, there's a great esports academy. I'm trying to think of his name down in South Dallas in DeSoto, who has done a Mm -hmm. a tremendous job at his location there and providing opportunities for kids to come in a game and learn about it. And that's what we're all about as well. And I think that you are 100% right. My career in track and field helped me to be a professional a journalist or what have you, a broadcaster. And so all the things we learn through our through our sports experiences, no matter how big or small they are, can serve us in our professional lives if we choose to remember the lessons. And um, it even teaches us that we can come to work and even get a concussion when we're, uh, when we're playing games with our teammates <laughs> and go to work because you've had a concussion before. Yes. <laughs> you are tough. I'm telling you. Yeah. No All excuses. Right. <laughs> hey, no excuses. Concussion or not, you know? All right. Let's kind of, let's kind of step back to today. What kind of activations are you guys happening now on a daily basis? Uh, and how does it change um, as you guys advance toward the Western Conference semifinals? How are you keeping your esports and gaming folks uh, connected to what's happening now as, it, as the energy and excitement continues to climb? Yeah, I mean, as far as relating the NBA 2K team to our Dallas Mavericks team, you know, just from a standpoint of we are trying to build a team, right? So we do have, we've retained one player on our esports team. His name's Dimes or or Artreo Boyd, um, originally from Ohio. So he's been, this is his fourth season with the Dallas Mavericks Mavs gaming team. We do have five new players. And so what we do have to do is is create a team environment in a socially distant COVID, you know, respecting COVID world. So we did bring them out to a suite. So they have experienced a Dallas Mavericks game and, and, and incorporating what, what we do on the court and hopefully transferring that back to what we do on the NBA 2K 
court. But, you know, and, and that's something I want to dive into as well is that we do get a lot of individuals who, you know, when you, when you are a professional gamer or you're getting in gaming and you're very competitive, what we have found is that a lot of these players are very individualistic because a lot of them have been playing by themselves at home. Mm-hmm. And so not necessarily this team in particular, but we have had teams in the past where a lot of these kids have never even been coached before. And right. so sitting in front of a console and having somebody behind you telling you what maybe you should adjust. That's really the first time any, some of these players have even had that before. They've been very individualistic. And so I've kind of taken it as, as it is a team sport. It is basketball, but it is a little bit like tennis in a way that it's very mentality focused. It's driven. If, if you don't think you can, then you won't. And so it's that having that mental stability, that mental strength that you can get through anything. So it is a little bit individualistic on that end, but working together as a team. And so you know, unfortunately, right now we do have very strict COVID protocols with our team. So they cannot hang out with each other. They can't, you know, go to each other's apartments or even, you know, hang out at dinner together. We have to do it all socially distant or doing virtual. For instance, tonight we set up a little family feud game for them to play virtually so they can kind of get to know each other. So trying to be creative on those ends of how we can make them more of a team. Right. You know, and, and we actually have a bye week this week, so we were able to do that. But to your point, how do we bring that energy from the NBA to what we do on 2K? And it's really just about, again, it's it's about teamwork. And there's so many great messages from the NBA side. One, of, one example is when we did our team dinner starting off the start of the season, I had a video of Doc Rivers talking about teamwork. And oh, what a great guy. What he, a great guy. I love Doc Rivers. He's yeah. like one of my favorite coaches. And he talks a lot of, about the championship he had won with, with the Boston Celtics when they beat the Lakers, which I definitely remember where I was when that happened. And so <laughs> him talking about teamwork and creating that championship team and, and, you know, that pressure is a privilege and that not a lot of people experience real pressure and what a privilege that is. And then overcoming that and addressing that and, and being strong and, and taking that on. So trying to incorporate that with our team, that it's not just a me sport. It is a a we sport and and working together and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough there. You know, we don't like all the restrictions that we have, but if every team is under the same restrictions and it's just a matter of our mindset, are we going to use it to our advantage or are we going to let it beat us? And so a lot of transferable skills between the two. I tell you what, if ever you're looking for a speaker to talk about uh, pressure in sports, I'll volunteer to come and, and chat and share with people about the uh, the pressure and the power of the Olympic stage. You know, the cool thing about all the sports we, we're talking about here, the NBA, March Madness, whatever it may be, they get that stage every year, right? It's available every year. But with the Olympics, it's every four years. And so the pressure is exponentially higher for everybody, for the athletes com- uh, competing, of course, for all of us in broadcasting who are there to cover those moments that happen in a split second. So I'd love to share some stories about that. And it's always interesting. I've worked with some of the NBA players before. I'm sorry, some of the NFL players, guys getting ready to go to the combine. And I've done some media training over many, many years. And when I begin to I show them a video and I kind of get them to understand that you're getting this opportunity every year, or at least you did when you were playing every Friday or every Saturday, and then, you know, if you make it to Sundays, you'll get every Sunday. But the kids that I'm talking about, these people, these stories, I'm going to tell you, it's every four years. And for like what's about to happen this summer, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. it's been five, it'll be five years. So pressure is surely something that can teach you a lot, but it's all relative. It's depending on what you've experienced before. So that is really something for sure. So the guy that I think you should contact next time you go to South Dallas, his name is Danny Martin. And Danny runs, it has a place down in the South Dallas called Exposure. 
uh-huh. and he's he's you, you familiar with exposure? They tell me about exposure all the time, and I've always told myself. I was literally telling someone not last night. Everyone keeps talking about exposure. I need to know who exposure is. Everybody yeah. talks about him. So yeah, yeah. this this Danny gives me Martin. yeah. Another yeah, he's a great, great guy. Yeah. I had him on this show before, and I've been down to visit his location. Uh, grew up in DeSoto and left and went out west to have an experience in business and then came back, and he wants to affect his community. So, great guy. He's got a great location. And he, I'm sure, Danny's waiting to bust out of COVID like everybody else is and have some big <laughs> events. So, maybe maybe you guys can partner up. But I love sharing that with you. Becca, this has been really cool, a great conversation. And I hope that people in general, and surely women, young girls, have been inspired by your story and uh, what you've accomplished so far. And it is very clear you're nowhere near being done. All right. I don't know what the ceiling is going to be for you, but I hope it's something huge, big, and clearly you'll be ready for it. So just uh, congrats on your position now. And I know at some point you'll be heading off to new things, but for right now, have fun with the season with NBA 2K and of course the Mavs rolling on. All right. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And and I'll wrap it up by saying, you know, I I think especially with Esports or or the NBA in general, you know, you do not have to be a professional gamer to work in esports. You do not have to be a basketball player to work for the NBA. I was a soccer player and I worked in the NBA. And so for for those of you who are listening, it is okay to take a route that's not traditional. I'm a successful story for somebody who I did not work in esports for 20 years, and this is what landed me in the role. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's about being adapted at adaptive and and a willingness to learn and understand that role and you will be successful in whatever you pursue. So you do not have to be, there's just been this negative stigma around, Oh, did you play basketball? Oh, were you an esports, you know, player, you know, removing that stigma because definitely as long as you are willing to learn and, and put in that, that hard work, you will be successful. So I wanted to add that little, that little tidbit in there, but again, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And you have given a class on some of those important things, being willing to work for a little to almost nothing early on, commit yourself and just continue to work the journey. But great words. And and it's been great chatting with you. And I hope that you'll come back again and we'll talk about it. And maybe during the NBA season, when we're back to quote unquote normal, I want to come to a game and have a chance to meet you and see what you guys are doing or cover your cover your league when you guys are playing and, and have Most you definitely. On, on the show. OK. Absolutely. That sounds like a phenomenal. I cannot wait. Ready? Yeah. 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 I am too. I am too. Well, listen, thanks once again to Becca Brown in her first year as a director of esports for Mavs Gaming. Looking forward to a continued successful playoff run for the Dallas Mavericks and, of course, for her Mavs Gaming team as they put it together. And hopefully, you guys will be following them. Becca, where can, where can they look up the team and see what's going on? You can follow us on, if you go to twitch.tv, you can go to at MavsGG. You can also follow us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. It's all at MavsGG, M-A-V-S-G-G. M-A-V-S-G-G. Once again, thanks, Becca. Thank you. All right, guys. Got it. So another edition there of All In With Esports. I told you it was going to be interesting. And again, I'm having all these flashbacks in my time covering the, the league. But it is so cool to hear how esports is continuing to permeate all sports. And even through COVID, as we begin to kind of move out of it, uh, there are so many exciting, intelligent people who are now bringing this sport to you and with, with the idea of inclusive, inclusive, inclusivity. There it is. And of course, that's exactly what we heard from Becca Brown. So continue to check in on my episodes as they continue to drop. Thank you guys so much for listening and all the episodes that we have for me and the other show hosts, which are really uh, touching so many different areas in our business can be found at esportsfp.com. 
in. So log in right there. As always, thanks again to Aaron, Sia, and AJ of Innovation Media Enterprises for helping to bring this and all of our episodes to you. Appreciate you being with me today. Hope you've been inspired, especially you young girls and ladies. And let's talk again soon on All In With Esports. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening. The Esports Connected Podcast is part of the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. If you love what you hear, please be sure to subscribe or follow and leave us a review. 